the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Most people focused on what Rand Paul had to say, to the extent they focused on what Rand Paul had to say, as opposed to what the vote tally was, about impeachment 2.0, sort of a straw vote, as we were discussing before the break with Julie Kelly. By the way, just one aside there, too. I mean, these guys. The statement that uh, Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy issued about uh, his impartiality as the presiding officer in the forthcoming trial on February 8th. (laughs) I mean, because John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts, has uh, declined to preside over the trial. He doesn't have to. He's not a sitting president. I mean, King Henry VIII, his star chamber was more impartial. It was actually a model of impartiality as compared to Pat Leahy presiding over any sort of proceeding involving anybody who disagrees with him. It's just ridiculous. But this um, charade is what uh, they seek to impose. They have... uh, orthodoxy on their side so everybody will go along and they i guess i don't know hope that some people through their uh, dislike of trump will uh, pretend they're not seeing this star chamber proceeding that they're actually saying it's just ridiculous but i wanted to get to something else that Rand paul said well another exchange that Rand paul had and this was with respect to anthony blinken's confirmation as joe biden secretary of state uh, you know, I, I've moved a lot, uh, I guess, since uh, 9-11 and the Iraq War, uh, a lot uh, uh, moved significantly in the direction of a non-interventionist like Paul. I'm not completely on board, uh, with, uh, you know, particularly with sort of his father and his perspective on uh, key allies globally like Israel. But with respect to the regime change mistakes that are made over and over and over again, Republicans and Democrats, the received wisdom of the experts at statecraft in uh, the Pentagon and the State Department, senior levels of Republican and Democrat administrations over the last certainly over the last 30 years, arguably more like over the last 60. uh, I think he raises some very good issues in the exchanges he had with Anthony Blinken. And, and and they need to be heard. So Rand Paul's riff here, a sort of review of the last 30 years, the sorts of decisions that have been made by people like Blinken and administrations, including the ones that Biden, the one that Biden was a part of and what they have wrought. Like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, you've been a consistent supporter of military intervention in the Middle East from the Iraq war to the Libyan war to the Syrian civil war. Some on your side of the aisle, including the president-elect, have said, well, we were given bad uh, intelligence. They misled us on the intelligence on Iraq. That's a very specific reason. There's probably some truth to it, but I think it misses sort of the lesson of the Iraq war. Likewise, your justification for maybe coming to a new approach on the Libyan civil war is, well, maybe we overestimated the idea of having viable successors there. To me, it seems like we're still missing the point, because even after Libya, you guys went on to Syria wanting to do the same thing again, and you've argued, well, maybe we just didn't do enough. 
we'd have done more, we could have toppled Assad and we could have had real regime change in Syria. Well, you got it in Iraq, you got it in Libya, and it's a disaster. The lesson of these wars is that regime change doesn't work. People say, well, we're going to get rid of the iron fist and Thomas Jefferson's going to arise from the ashes. Well, that, you know, is a naive notion to believe that Thomas Jefferson or his like live in Libya or live in Iraq. Their tradition is so much different than ours. I mean, we've been fighting against centralized power in the English tradition for a thousand years. Um, the revolution in England was 350 years ago. Ours was 250 years ago. That tradition they don't have. They have a tribal existence. Mm. You trade one for another. But mostly what you've gotten through the policies you have advocated, and Joe Biden has advocated, and frankly, John Bolton has advocated, this idea of regime change has been a disaster for the Middle East. We complain. Everybody around here is concerned. Iran, Iran, Iran. Well, why is Iran stronger? Who's their best friend in the region now? Iraq. You know, we did that. We had a balance of power. It wasn't perfect, but we had somewhat of a balance of power in the Middle East. And you guys messed it up. You got rid of the one bad guy and another bad guy got stronger. And so then you went to Libya and did the same thing. And they said, well, maybe Libya is a one-off. Well, maybe there's a rule here. Maybe there's something we can learn about regime change. And maybe we can learn that humility would be that maybe we shouldn't be choosing every government in the Middle East. I would argue that instead of always choosing the governments, maybe we should not reward the bad ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do. And the uh, exchange on Syria continued because uh, Blinken picked up on that rift to focus in on Syria and his opposition to military intervention on the scale that some had proposed. But uh, Rand Paul pointed out, that's nice, but that's not good enough. Well, in, 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 Syria, in Syria, there were those who were advocating for uh, a repeat of, uh, of Iraq, which is to say a whole-scale intervention. That's something that I did not agree with when we were looking at um, what but, to do but, in but Afghanistan. But the problem in Syria. It's, it, it is, there was a predictable result there. Had you gotten rid of Assad, mm. who were the fiercest fighters over there? Mm. Al-Nusra and Al-Qaeda. Mm. The, most ra- the more radical you were, the better fighters you were. The program that you started with Hillary Clinton, the program to train these the moderate rebels— we spent 250 million. We trained about 60. We sent 10 of them into battle, and they were captured in the first 10 minutes. Mm. It was a complete disaster. This whole idea that there were moderates over there that we were going to support, doctors and lawyers and stuff, there were, but I don't think they were out there fighting. The ones out there fighting were jihadists, al-Qaeda, al-Nusra, and if they had taken over the country, Assad's a mm. terrible person, but I'm not positive that these people would have been better. So it means the same lesson. Our humility has to be, let's quit toppling regimes over there. Let's don't support the bad ones, Mm. but let's don't presume enough that if we topple them, that in the vacuum, Thomas Jefferson is going to arise Mm. because it never seems to happen. Humility, restraint, uh, narrow definition of national security interests. This was sort of the uh, calling card of the what was called principled realism under President Trump and Secretary of State Pompeo. And Paul raises now that's retrospectively now prospectively to his point with the idea of uh, support for admitting Georgia, not the southern state, Georgia, the former Soviet bloc republic, which is occupied territory by Putin right now, admitting Georgia into the U.N., excuse me, into the, to NATO and what that could implicate, you know, how that could be, again, beating those drums here. We've seen, again, in the past that uh, countries that have um, joined NATO, have not been the same target of Russian aggression that we've seen. We were talking about 20 years ago, we might have a valid argument Mm -hmm. now. Russia occupies Georgia. Russia occupies or 
proxy troops occupy part of Ukraine. So I think adding either of them to NATO not only is provocative, but you'd have to you'd have to think what comes next. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're obligated to defend our uh, NATO allies, I mean, basically we'd be voting for war. So I wouldn't vote to add Georgia to NATO, not not on your life, unless I'm ready to send my kids and your kids to go fight in Georgia. Um, you know, the complicated fights and wars and occupation around. And I just think that uh, we need to think these things through. And I think for every provocation, there's a response as well. So we can't look at it in a vacuum. People say, I don't care what Russia thinks. Or I don't care what Tehran thinks. Well, if we don't understand our adversaries enough to think well, how they will respond, then I don't think we're doing our job. I agree with you. Yeah, agree with you. I just come to different conclusions once I've thought them through. And uh, as I think um, important as Rand Paul's observations were, to his larger point, is sort of about the bipartisan consensus on the sorts of interventions that we've tried, Republican and Democrat regimes, particularly over the last uh, 20 years. Anthony Blinken got confirmed 78 to 22. This is Dan Proft. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.